Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. To Euro or not to Euro, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to push cubes across a beige board, or to take dice and chuck them across a table, and by opposing, end them. To Ameritrash, to sleep. And scene. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Tabletop Submarine Podcast. It is so good to have you here. I am your host, Josh, and with me is my number one co-host. I'm Andrew, and I'm a little not sure about that intro, but that's okay. I feel a little bit cultured. I feel a little bit trashy. I feel a little bit um, <laughs> dumped upon. I feel like you you stacked some maples in a not-so-pleasant way, and... Uh, it's it's interesting. Let's just go. I'm gonna let that, I'm gonna let it slide this time. But more importantly, we have a great guest today. It is board comedian extraordinaire Grant Lyon. Welcome oh. to the podcast, Grant. Hey, thanks for having me, fellas. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. So I know you have you have your fingers in a lot of pies. So go oh, ahead and I'm ruining listeners. a lot of pies over here. Nobody wants to eat them after I put my fingers in them. Yeah. I do. A lot of things. That is true. I don't know how to relax. Uh, it's a problem. So yeah, if you're if you're talking about in board games, I you know am probably most well known for my TikTok channel, which is Grant's Game Rex, um, which you know I got a hundred sixty thousand followers on there and make daily content, and it's. Both, you know, my voice is uh, uh, silly and informative at the same time. That's what I'm trying to do, right? I'll give you some real information yeah. said in a dumb way. And then I also do stuff on other platforms like YouTube. I, I have a best games come into retail video every month that people like where I'm in touch with. Yep. I'm in touch with like 400 different publishers to talk about what new releases they have coming to stores new, near you. I, I'm not good at waiting for kickstarters i'm not patient enough for that so i want to know the games that i can go out and get right now <laughs> yeah yeah i'm with you there don't i'm worry. also uh, a designer i've got a game already published with 25th century games i have a new one coming out this year with deep water games and i've got some other ones that we're right. pitching right now phenomenal i have actually been in on some of those playtesting so yeah cool oh awesome for which one the meme one that you were pitching for a while oh yeah that's right yeah people watching so i actually met you grant at tantrum con when it was i think it was 2022 tantrum con when a mutual friend of ours introduced us to each other because he wanted yes, to play a game of right. blood rage and you know, and from there we just like we see each other we say hi to each other at different cons when we like are at the same convention like hey what's up how you doing but me and Andrew were talking like we need to get some people who are great storytellers. And I knew that you were a comedian and comedians naturally are really good storytellers for the most part. And so I was like, I'll reach out to Grant, see if he's interested. And you were kind enough <laughs> to grace us with your presence. So like, do people know that you like board game comedy? Do people know that. Is that like 
you alone doing that? Or is that just well, like starting no, to happen I, more? I think more? What do you think? In terms of, if we're talking stand-up comedy, I'm the only one that does it. So, and to anybody yeah. listening, um, partly what Josh is referring to is, you know, I've been a comedian for, oh man, I think this is my 18th year of being like a comedian and a professional, a professional for wow. like 10 years, you know, making my living at it. Um, and I, during the pandemic, when all of my shows got canceled, you know, started making more of this board game media stuff. And then I wrote an hour stand-up comedy show based on board games and board game culture and what it means to be a gamer and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so I don't think there's anybody else doing that. There's nobody else that's doing board game stand-up. I believe there are some other people doing like improv and sketch and that sort of stuff, but no, no stand-up uh, in that world. Uh, and so, yeah, it's kind of fun to do, you know, and the show goes really well when I do the show at conventions because it is so unique. Uh, it, it's, it, it's interesting where <laughs> there are people sometimes at conventions who are skeptical of the show because they go, Oh, some some board gamer is like trying comedy, and it's like no, 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 no. I'm like a comedian that's trying board games, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> like that. That was my first thing. I've spent a long time being a comedian, and now it's just nice to be able to sort of you know meld the two two of my loves. I've seen clips of the show. I I really like some of your jokes. It was like a year ago when I was trying to figure out like if I wanted to see the show at Tantricon couldn't because yeah. of a wife and kid, but I heard nothing but great things about it. So I'm really glad you're doing what you're doing in that aspect. And you know, one, it's great to do at conventions. It gives people a unique sort of fun way to poke fun at themselves and stuff. But also, you know, I'm starting to do it at, at different venues around the country and things like that. So hopefully it brings some people into board games as well. And, you know, eventually my plan is to shoot it. Yeah, I, I want to shoot it as a special. Uh, and then maybe that can get even more people involved, you know? So that's that's your comedy life. I, I want to talk about your TikTok. A TikTok, I, I don't go on TikTok a lot because... Because you're not 15? Because you're not old. Because I'm not 15. Though I will say... I will say TikTok has a lot more people now than just like, yes, it was made for 15 year olds originally, but I've got plenty of 40, 50 somethings watching my content on there and stuff like that. So don't feel weird if you're on TikTok and you're not 15 years old. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair. I, I'm not going to feel weird because you're one of the only channels I actually like subscribe, oh, I, I follow because I do enjoy your board game reviews. It's quick. You you show games that i don't generally know about like yeah. i what kind of things do you usually do on your tiktok channel people so, who haven't um, seen it. you know i i do daily content on there and it's a real mix of stuff i think the thing that made me um well known originally on there the thing that sort of got me popular was i did a lot of hey if you like this game here are three other games to check out you know that there's a lot yes. of people yeah, there's a lot of people that videos. all they know about board games, you know, maybe they've moved past Monopoly, but they're still not past Ticket to Ride or Catan or something like that, right? And so 
there's a lot of mm-hmm. like, hey, you've heard of this game. Here's some other ones to check out, you know, top top four videos yeah. in, in that category. Or even like, you know, uh, you want to get into board games with your significant other. Here's five great games to play, that sort of thing. I also do overviews of single games, you know, and I try to give an idea of what the game is, but then also like throw some jokes and some silliness into there. You know, that's kind of my voice. And then I'll also (laughs) just do comedy bits and things like that on there as well. Mostly board game related. Every once in a while, I'll throw up a clip just of my standup or whatever. But most of the time, it's like little comedy things about board game life and stuff. Those of you who haven't seen yet, highly recommend it. It's a fantastic channel. Agreed. Well, my instruments are priming right up. Let's go ahead and get those ready to go and head to our pre-launch. The pre-launch. Get to know us and our guest. So, I'll go ahead and kick this off. I have been playing Beer and Bread, which was highly recommended by my wonderful co-host, Andrew. And was you said to me was your game of the year, if I'm not mistaken. It's my game of last year. The the game that I explored last year that I liked the absolute best. And there were a lot of great games last year, but that one hit it for me. And you know what? I I can definitely see why. The card play in Beer and Bread, you play as two opposing villages, having a friendly competition, trying to create both beer and bread because they use similar ingredients. And what it is, it has a very interesting drafting system where you have a hand of cards, and based on what round it is, or is it a plentiful season or a dry season, you draft the cards different ways. You pass it back and forth. Sometimes you pick up cards that you played last round. Very interesting and uh, very, I would have to say, like very Capstone-esque the way they went, went about it because this is from Capstone Games. I really enjoyed this. This was a very interesting, lots of planning ahead. Like I, It's been a while since I, I played a game where you really, really have to plan ahead a lot of what resources you want because you're trying to gather these resources and fulfill these contracts while on these cards that may or may not end up in your hand eventually depending on how the game goes and what the other person the other player does and i gotta say um, my wife was a little distracted by her kid as we were playing it she didn't get to enjoy it nearly as much as i did but i can really see how you can really dive yourself into this game and the various (laughs) strategies that you can take there's there's nothing like no turn is i think waste in this game you can either harvest stuff you can upgrade your own little track and your upgrade track you can bake you can brew there's a lot of good things here going on so i definitely agree with andrew that this was this is a fantastic game if it's his game of the year i fully support that is a really great two-player game but every two-player game especially Um, that was beer and bread yeah one of the things i like about that one real quickly is that it's a compact but yet oh yeah super small two-player game it's the kind of game that i can take and travel it's just a bunch of cards and a couple pieces and a little board but it's enough that you can actually get a big gaming experience in a small package that's one i really want to try i love the idea of the multi-use cards in it you know i mean i i wish i wish more games did that you know then it's one of those things where it's like an an easy to wrap your head around decision that is difficult to make right? That's one of the things I like about it. Now, uh, here's a question from an impartial outsider, since I haven't played it yet. What do you say, what is your response to the criticism that there's one too many rules in the game? That's the one thing I've heard about it. The criticism I would say to that is that 
No, I would say no. Okay. I don't think there's one too many rules. Like this isn't like for me. Like from the, like Andrew loved this game last year. It's not my game of the year. It's a very good game, and it's exactly what I wanted it to be. But I didn't think there was one too many rules okay. for it. I I but I came into expecting a heavier two player game. Like it's Capstone. They've made Arc Nova. They yeah, made yeah. you know a bunch of these heavier type games. I was expecting more rules, to be honest. So when I go into like, oh, this is actually really simple. All I'm doing on my turn is playing a card and maybe passing it to the left every once in a while. So, I mean, people were saying, yeah, there's one too many rules. It's like, well, maybe it's just me because I came to it expecting there to be more rules. But I found it to be a good amount of rules load. Grant, I'm excited. What have you been playing recently? So I know this is not the plug section, but one more plug. I do a monthly video for Rado Runs Through channel uh, where I go. Which I saw this morning. No, thanks. But I go through my top five games I play every month. And I play somewhere between 20 and 25 games for the first time, usually every yeah. month. And so my number one game of January, which I'm also still been playing a lot in February because it's so quick and fun, is Millie Fiore. And it's, it's one of those games where like, I think the cover and the title do it a disservice because I agree the, the title, you get nothing out of that. Unless you speak Italian, you have no idea what that's referring to or what that is meaning. And the, the box cover is like, I mean, it's not terrible. It's just not, you again, you don't really get that much from it. You don't know what it's about. You don't. It's not super striking, but man, is the game fun. I love I love a game, sort of like we just said with Beer and Bread. I love a game that has easy to wrap your head around choices that are difficult to make. And Millie Fiore yes. is exactly that. Like, the game plays so quick and smooth. I played it the other night with uh, two other guys that are experienced at it now. We have played multiple games together. And I think we played it in 35 minutes. We were just boom, 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 boom. Now, I I still think, you know, for many people, it's going to be an hour long game, but that is also still not that long in the world of games. So to anybody that doesn't know, it is, uh, there are six different regions and all you are doing on your turn is drafting a card and placing one of your colored diamonds down in a region. And every region is going to score you different ways. It's not really area control because you're not taking much away from anybody, but it is that area majority. And so all these different ways are going to score you. All these different regions are going to score you in different ways. So every time you get a hand of cards, you want multiple cards in it. But you can't have multiple. You can only have one card. So then it's like that, ah, okay, what am I going for right now? Like, ah, it's tough. But I really like it. It's number one on my list to check out, mostly because you've said it, but I've heard from a lot of people too. And I'm really glad you didn't pick flipping phalluses. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Andrew, what have you been playing? I've been playing a obscure to most people, but I involve myself in a trick-taking Discord server who loves this game called Yokai Septet. Hmm. Not the kind of name that you get interested or really Speaking care of names about. names we don't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And then on top of that, you throw in some weird Japanime kind of interesting, weird, folky stuff that some people find beautiful. I find not so beautiful. 
but the gameplay is spectacular. Essentially, it's a game about sevens. It's seven sets of seven cards, so seven suits, and then the seven is what matters. So you're trick-taking, and you're trying to capture the sevens. But in the first suit, the seven is the lowest card. In the second suit, the seven is the second lowest card, and up through the chain till the seven is the highest card. So there's some really interesting mechanisms where you must follow. You have to follow suit and stuff like that, but you're trying to force other players to get the sevens out of their hand so you can take them, but then you also have to have a partner. So you have to somehow communicate with your partner through the gameplay where you can help them and where they can help you and trap the opponents. It's one of those games that has a lot of tense play that you cannot fully understand until you play it. It's every hand matters. It also has this one really cool rule, which I need to use somewhere else, which is if you take a trick that doesn't matter, it still counts to the number of tricks you can take without busting. Hmm. So normally in a trick-taking game, you can take as many tricks as you want to. In this game, if you take seven, but don't take enough of the sevens, then you lose. Interesting. So taking tricks that don't matter actually hurt you in the process of the game. So you want the tricks to matter. So you want to pass off the ones that don't matter to your opponents and you want to take the ones that do matter yourself. And it's just a really cool mechanism. So highly recommend trying out that one. I've heard there's a two-player variant. I haven't had a chance to try it yet. But I think this game is the game that kind of shines at three and four. Where do you... That's not even one I've ever heard of. And you said you learned about it in your Discord server. Where is it available? Do you know? So it's the Portland Games Collective. Uh, it's available at a lot of different stores. Is it? And I okay. think it's widely available on like Amazon and stuff like that okay. if you look it up. I don't think it's difficult to find. It's got a it's got a pretty strong following, and it's one of the best trick taking games I've played recently. Nice. I love trick taking games in general. They're I, some of my favorites. I think we're like in the middle of this board game renaissance. There is like a flourishing of trick taking games. Well, I I agree, and I and I have you know I think with any entertainment with any media, there is a little bit of follow culture right you you see that in mm -hmm. movies there'll be some type of hit movie and then you know a good example is everybody in the 90s thought that a rated r comedy could never make money right they didn't make any of them <laughs> in the 90s and then wedding crashers came out in the early aughts and did really well and opened the door for a bunch of rated r comedies and i think yes i think um i think uh um the crew did that for trick-taking, right? There were a lot of people, I feel like, that were like, oh, trick-taking is like a 52-card deck mechanism. It's never going to be popular in the world of board games. And then the crew won a bunch of awards and got so popular. And we've seen so many trick-taking games since then. I, I honestly feel like it's a little too much sometimes. <laughs> like, it's like this really yeah. hot... Yeah, yeah. I say that, but I'm still gonna check them out. I yeah. No, no, no. I just you know. Yes, there were trick taking games before the crew. There were modern trick taking games before the crew, but I don't feel like there was as much of a rush on the mechanisms until the crew. I definitely agree with that. Yeah. I think there's a reason for that, though. Too, it's card games in general are cheaper to produce. They're easier to get a lot of boxes and put them in people's hands and they can travel with them. So there was a reason to have that do well. And once a game hit like the crew 
or Fox in the Forest or a couple other small ones, once those hit big, it was a better return on investment, kind of the way that uh, horror films in the 80s used to be a better return on investment yeah. from the bigger films, right? So it's the same kind of thought process. And by the way, in the film note, I really hope we get more movies like Top Gun Maverick because I miss the 80s and I miss that vibe. And I feel like we need more lightness in our lives and our movies. A lot of these movies are very heavy and a little hard to take. Well, and and the, the other thing that Top Gun Maverick did is showed that a reboot could be a good standalone movie on its own as well. I mean, we've had a lot of these reboots that have been pretty bad. It's like, we're going to bring yeah. them back 30 years later, and it's just not a good story. You can write a good story with a, you know, a refresh as well. Very much so. Roadhouse 2. Roadhouse 2. Wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Roadhouse, even houseier. Whatever, whatever, whatever yeah, yeah. Well, my instruments are set and ready to go. We're ready to dive into the story. Let's close the hatch and set sail. Do we, do we, I don't think submarines actually set sail. Yeah, they probably do. <laughs> they set they a, do set a course? Set I will set a course towards this <laughs> tabletop ocean. Regale us with tales of your, take us through your story. Yeah, so you asked for one of my most memorable stories. And, you know, that doesn't always mean good, right? Memorable oftentimes is uh, is the worst thing that's happened. So I'll tell you, this was, this was I think, 2020. It was the summer of 2020. And, you know, we still weren't seeing that many people and that sort of stuff. But I was playing board games outside on my patio uh, with a few people. You know, it felt like a good way to stay safe but still play some games. And it was my birthday. And so I was like, I'm going to buy a new game for my birthday, right? So we went to a, a retail store and I let a guy talk me into buying the game Mountains of Madness, not Mansions of Madness, the beloved game Mountains of Madness, the much not beloved game. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And now that I've become more savvy, I remember they had like five or six copies on the shelves. And I was like, now I'm like, Oh, they couldn't sell that game. Yeah, (laughs) Someone who works in the store, there's a reason they're trying to sell you that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now to be clear, There are people who love this game. I am not one of those people. The problem with... So, to anybody that doesn't know, Mountains of Madness is a cooperative game where you are working your way up a mountain, but as you get higher, more things start going wrong. And part of that (laughs) is the Lovecraftian theme you start losing your mind a little bit with the lack of oxygen as you get higher on the mountain and you get cards that ruin communication. Uh, They are things like, you know, say everything in a French accent or, you know, different silly things. And, you know, while I'm going to tell this story and this is one of the main reasons I don't like the game, I also feel like... The game is this weird middle ground where it is too much strategy to be a party game, 
but too much wacky silliness to be a strategy game. It like almost yeah. leaves both groups dissatisfied yes. because it is not an easy game. There is a lot of strategy and decisions that need to be made. And so we were playing the game and I got the card that I could only say yes or no. But, you know, we were we were two-thirds of the way up the mountain. So at this point, I'm like, well, everybody knows how to play the game. I'm the rules explainer, but I've already explained the rules. We've been playing for a while. So, you know, that hopefully everybody knows what to do. But now we get to, you know, now I can only say yes or no. So people are like, Grant, what are we supposed to be doing right now? And I'm like, yes. You know? And they're like, no, but like, can you help us out with this round? And I'm like, yep, yes. <laughs> and so then we started failing every round because the other players were like, not sure what they should be doing on a round. I guess I hadn't taught it well enough. Oh, and. No. Now I'm also like too committed to the game <laughs> to like break character. And so it's just getting, right. people are getting more and more frustrated. They're like, why? We're just failing every round. Do something, Grant. And I'm like, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and people are getting more and more frustrated. But in my mind, I'm also like, well, this is the experience the game wanted us to have. This is what the right. game wanted. This is the game chose this. So I'm 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 ride or dying with this experience right now. And so it's just getting more and more frustrating. And we just are failing over and over. And one of my friends literally started crying. She was like, What is happening right now? Why won't you do anything, Grant? And she's like, <laughs> and she's like, Why won't you do anything? And I'm like, Yes. <laughs> And, she, <laughs> and she's like, I hate this game. And I'm like, oh, yes. Yep, yes. <laughs> so my on my birthday, Mountains of Madness made one of my friends cry. Yeah. My follow-up question immediately is, on your next birthday, how many people showed up? <laughs> Thankfully, people still showed up, and I promised a better game. Now, okay, we also <laughs> played multiple games that night, so it wasn't like the whole oh, night good. was ruined. I was just like, I bought a new game for my birthday. I want to play my new game, you know? That's cool. No, I've, I've heard a lot of stories like that about people having to, to communicate in song only. I've heard people having to, like, tap out their responses, yeah. like, two for yes for no so yeah there's there's some interesting things that go on there and it's an interesting play design from what i've heard but yeah i think people either have to want to be in both camps at once or not. you do i think you do and that, and it's a that's why i think some people love the game because it is right. unique right there aren't that many games that have that much strategy and that much silliness in the same box so if that's what you're looking for then it's probably a good game for you i just don't know that that group of people is that broad well also i think that that hits very few people's sweet spots so yeah if that is your thing if you want to have both those things there's not a lot of games that scratch that yeah, itch so i agree the positive thing as well this game is for me super deceptive like the cover for this game is possibly one of my favorite colors in covers in all of board gaming it is fantastic representation of you know what the mountains of madness story was supposed to look like 
And I picked it when I picked this game up on my game store. I was like, oh, it's just like some sort of epic, you know, cool adventure where we're driving up <laughs> and trying to escape the clutches of some uh, ethereal or like some sort of Cthulhu madness or something. And it's like, this is a party game. Like, what in the gosh darn yeah. am I looking at? <laughs> so, I mean, like, I, I, I just feel like this was, this game was a, this game I think would have done a lot better if it didn't have such an epic cover. And you could have gone with, a, I guess, a Lovecraftian theme. But maybe like a Cthulhu in the house, like a sillier type. I feel like it just yeah. gives off like, it's like almost deceptive vibes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, to, to follow up with this question then about like this, I mean, this experience about, you know, games that maybe are trying two separate things and combining them like this, in this case, it's yeah. strategy and party. Like, what are some games that maybe don't do this well? Oh, I could jump right in on that because one game I have pushed a lot over the last couple of years because I feel like nobody knows about it and I love its weird combination of stuff is Shamans. Shamans is such a good Uh, game. We talked about trick-taking already. Shamans is a hidden role trick-taking game, which sounds like it shouldn't work to me, but it works so well. You know, I think it's so interesting and fun. And, you know, it is a smaller, um, both a smaller player count hidden role game. You know, most hidden role games, right? Your your sweet spot is seven, eight people, something like that. I think Shamans Mm -hmm. is like three or five is probably the best. Three, four, five is the best. You can't play it with more than that. And I... I wouldn't play, I don't know if there's a variant for like two, but I wouldn't play that. So it's like really just a three, four, five player game, but I love it. Have you guys played that one? Yes, I have played that, and I did not have a great experience. Oh! So let me get back and try it again. Real so opposites I mean, I here. Sometimes it's the people, and sometimes it's the games. Yeah. So I don't know which one that was. It could have been one I'm of blaming the, the people. <laughs> I don't care who it was. It could have been your significant other, and I blame them. Okay? <laughs> I love the game, yeah. Yeah, it's. I, I feel like this is becoming more and more of a thing as there's more and more board games being pumped out is whether people are are trying to combine two different styles of game into one to seeing where it works, which is great because you get experimental games that some people absolutely love, like Shamans. And you mentioned, oh, there are people out there who really love Mansions of Madness and things like that. And like I'm thinking of a game that combines two different things that I particularly didn't like. It was, I'm going to say, the more I thought about it, the more I didn't like it, and it was ARCs, which is, you know, I had a good review of it when I actually sit down and play it for the first time, but this is leader. That's yeah, leader, leader games. Leader games. Yeah. I love leader games. I mean, Root is one of my favorite games of all time, but off in the distance, it hasn't even come out yet. I got to do a preview of it. I sat down and played, oh, this is great, but I think I was really caught in the height because I sat down and really looked at experience like, you know, I really didn't like this whole trick-taking area control thing. It felt like I was playing two different games, and one was a super weird trick-taking thing that led to this area control thing, which I found more interesting. And so, like, all three of us are designers in some aspect. Why do you think this is becoming such a trend of taking maybe two different far-off things and trying to mash them together like a sandwich or something like that? Well, I think... Number one, because that's the essence of creativity, right? Isn't it? It's taking any two things, mashing them together and seeing what happens. And sometimes you sprinkle in three or four things. Um, But on top of that, I think that's the 
the fringes of those main categories are where the exploration of, of things can be, right? It's, it's not that the trick-taking genre has been so fully explored, there's nothing left, but it's getting close. So you got to do that and something else to then drop in the sugar and the spice to make it more interesting. I think that's where it's at. Yeah, I mean, I, that's what I do with my game designs. Yeah. I, I agree with the sense that like, there's been such an explosion in board games over the last 20 years it, it, in the eighties, how many board games came out a year? I don't know. A couple hundred maybe right yeah, now. Probably. We're now we're at a couple thousand at least that are coming out every single year. And so the reality is just everything's been done unless you can figure out ways to combine stuff. If you just want to make a worker placement game, almost everything has been done. If it is just a worker placement game, right? We've had so many, better be amazing. Yeah, exactly. Like there. And so I think a lot of it is just, this is how we make something unique. We have to combine yeah. multiple mechanisms into the game. And you see that with like, right, Lost Ruins of Arnak and stuff and uh, Dune Imperium were like, oh my God, people combined worker placement and deck building. We've never seen that before. Well, now we're starting to see that a bunch. Like, you know, when yeah. someone, someone shows that it can be done, now we're starting to see that a little bit more. So now what's going to be next? What are you going to combine worker placement with? You know, I asked a question on uh, Twitter a while back where I was like, what two opposite things can we jam together? Like card shedding and climbing games. Can we make something happen in mm. that? Where like we take two things that are working against each other and combine those things. So I would love to see things like that happen. What about deck building and card shedding? Yeah. I don't know. That's interesting. For sure. We're talking a lot about like, you know, the following, how there's these, like we have, you know, like you said, Dune Imperium and Lost Rooms of Arnok are great examples of two games that took two very different, very popular types of games and matched them together very well. And there's camps for both of them. But now we're seeing an outpouring because the board game industry likes to kind of follow lead with what is popular, which is, you know, that's just smart business for all sorts of that. Except the board game industry is two years behind. Like when something comes out, any game design that's being submitted the next day is a two year window before that sees the retail market. So it's almost impossible to really follow directly. So you have to follow vibes and follow directions in the play testing aspect. If you want to try to catch the lead on something. And even then, you don't know if it's that great a game in the playtesting format. So I would disagree that it follows directly. I think it follows um, the world market and what sells. So anything that's big and huge selling, like say a wingspan, will then automatically, I think, let publishers be more interested in a genre yeah. of having a 500 card deck. But that doesn't mean it's going to be it for sure. I also think there are plenty, there are games that, do something original that try to do something original and succeed, but maybe the game isn't that good. And then it comes, mm -hmm. and then it is. So a, an example of that right now is, um, have you guys played Precognition? I have not. No, I have not tried that yet. Precognition does something very unique and interesting in card drafting. And I really like that part of the game. So in the game, you know, it's not like a Sushi Go, It's a Wonderful World, we're passing cards around the table and grabbing one. That's most card drafting. Instead, 
you have a couple of cards in your decision zone, and every player does as well. You draw two cards from your deck. One of those two cards goes into your play area. One of the two cards that were down on the table in front of you go to the player to the left, and then you get a card from the player to your right. And if you play the same color card from your hand that you get from the player from your right, you get extra combos. You get extra benefits. So there's precognition Mm. in that I am looking at the cards that this person has down in front of them, thinking about which one are they more likely to pass me. Can I play something from my hand that matches that? It's a little difficult. Yeah, it's a little difficult to wrap your head around at first because there is a, you know, mechanical aspect to it of like, okay, this card goes left, this card goes in front of me, this card comes from the right, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It's but it's really interesting. Unfortunately, the game that's around that drafting system is just okay. Mm. Right? Right. That that aspect of the game. Then there's some, you know, sort of worker placement engine building stuff that's kind of just have well i think people can say that for most things that get invented though like i mean this is not a popular opinion but i think that dominion when it came out is a substandard game but people took that mechanism and built some really amazing games that's from there so we all stand we all stand on the shoulders of giants right and i do feel like the person who goes first gets credit that's yeah. that's the thing with like precognition. I'm like, oh, somebody is going to do this in a better game, but this is the first to do that. It's a really interesting system, but we need now a better game using that system. I think one of my favorite combinations of doing this kind of stuff, maybe like taking a concept that's maybe a little broken and putting into a better game, I would say are living card games, which in my hmm. mind's eye are TCGs mixed with you know, traditional cooperative boss battling card games, specifically like Marvel Champions and, and stuff like that. I mean, Arkham Arkham Horror, Marvel Champions, Lord of the Rings living card game. See, the thing I find broken about lots of TCGs is the the play-to-win aspect, the pay-to-win aspect of it, where, you know, casual players can't really... You can still have a good time playing Magic. I, I think Magic is just an okay game by itself, but the fun of it is building your deck out and trying to create all these combos. Same thing with Flesh and Blood, Pokemon, Digimon, or, you know, whatever, Vanguard, whatever your TCG you're playing. But you're constantly having to buy in, especially if you play, like, standard formats, which is, you know, you only have a set number of cards, so you're constantly switching your deck, you're constantly spending money. Whereas in a living card game, you know, you get what you want. You, can, you have a base game that is usually extremely versatile, and you can just play that forever. But you have the option of these maybe monthly releases, I think, hey, that's my favorite. That's Spider-Pig. I want to add Spider-Pig in and play with him. Or, hey, oh, they're doing a you know a Crimson Letter campaign for Arkham Horror. I want to grab it. Or the Dunwich Legacy. I want to grab that and play that. To me, that's a, I think, almost a beautiful and almost super smooth and flawless combining of the idea of a TCG player and having to build your own experience combined with the ease of hand management and classic card games. Okay, I don't have anything to add. <laughs> yeah, to that. that was that was pretty exhaustive. <laughs> I thought that was that was pretty pretty well set up and delivered, and there's yeah. nothing to say. I mean, that, that's <laughs> Sometimes I say things that are smart. I love it. Yeah. <laughs>
before we start this whole, I've got, I see in the background, you've got the hand-to-hand wombat game. Oh yeah. That is a game. That is a game that I think did some very interesting things, but a little bit failed. Is that something we should talk about? Like, sure. I mean, that the, the thing to me about that game is I think it's very fun. I don't know how much replay value it has. That that's where it's I'm a one-time like, experience. Yeah, but it's a but it's a fun experience, and I it's a game I would totally introduce to new people and play it multiple times. But I would be playing it with new people every time that I'm playing it, sort of thing. Also, that game is incredibly easy to cheat at, and yeah, not that you get a <laughs> you don't get a good experience from it. But it's also one of those things where, like, I think it's more of a friend test. It's like, that's fair. can you play this game with a friend and have them not cheat? I think that's. <laughs> Anyway, I, I definitely agree with you. Like, it's the I, I can play that game once with a group of people, but then I want to play with a new set of people because it's such a good like we got to figure out who is bad wombat just by feeling around and seeing what people do. I actually think it's a very good combination of you know party game and dexterity game and social deduction. But yeah, it's it's a one trick pony in lots of aspects for it. So to kind of wrap the conversation up, I want to come back to one aspect. Like this was this was a this experience with Mountains of Madness was not a great experience. So like from what you've been telling me, it wasn't the perfect experience, True. but it no. was memorable. So I think there are lots of times we play games and we don't have we sometimes we don't have good experiences. And I've known some people in the hobby who have a bad experience and never want to play board games again. So the question to both of you, even though we've had we probably all have had bad experiences, memorable bad experiences playing board games. Why do we keep coming back to them? Why do we keep giving it a second chance? Because they, we've had more good experiences playing them. I mean, that's if 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 I was constantly getting beat up by board games, I don't think I would be as into them. But for every you know game that I play that I'm disappointed by, there's four that I play that I I love, and I love board yeah. games, and so I'm oftentimes willing to give a game the benefit of the doubt you know also in the sense that like i'm like ah that wasn't quite as good as i was expecting or hoping that it would be here's a great example of a game like that right now hickory dickory oh have you okay so hickory dickory i was hyped for i love the idea of going around the clock my first play of it i was a bit disappointed and i don't know that that was the game's fault as much as my own expectations of it and i was like okay i want to play it a few more times and it is now growing on me it's interesting okay because i would have been you know i was at a 10 out of 10 before i played it yeah then i then my first play i was like oh i don't know that might be like a six out of ten now I'm probably back up to that 7.5 or 8 sort of thing. Okay, it's, yeah. It's a lot quieter and puzzlier than I expected it to be. And my first play, it was I did not have my head wrapped around the puzzle at all. And so I felt like I was just kind of flailing you know mm-hmm. and 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 it wasn't a super great experience cuz i was like what am I, what is what am i is there strategy in this game <laughs> like what am i doing and then as i've played it more i'm like okay there is some very interesting stuff it's a lot about using your special abilities of your meeples 
You have these four okay. different meeples and you have to use their special abilities and you have to be thinking fairly far ahead in terms mm -hmm. of I'm going to use this special ability when I in in half a turn, you know, half a round from now, I'm going to use that special ability and I'm going to use this one here and I'm going to be very strategic about how I'm doing it. And in the end, it's really a set collection game. And I don't think I expected, I was thinking more like, oh, worker placement. And yes, there is riding the hands of a clock doing worker placement. But the real way you're scoring points is set collection in the game. And I and I didn't know that. And so I think that when you when you say like, you know, why do we keep coming back? I think there, you know, give a game the benefit of the doubt. I think we are people, if you like board games, you are those type of people. And sometimes it doesn't come, it doesn't rise in terms of its, right. terms of its score for you, but sometimes it does. And so that, that figuring out the interesting aspects of games is what keeps me coming back as well. I also think that story you just shared is a microcosm of almost all board games we play over time anyway, right? Like, so you find out about something, you really have to play it. The first example, you're still learning it and you can't really grasp all the nuances. So you fall a little short and whether you love it or not, you probably have a crappy score and that can lead to not feeling so great about something. Then you play it a second time you now get some more nuance that you didn't catch the first time. And all of a sudden things start to showcase themselves, start to explain themselves. You're doing the exploring thing. I know my wife is a person who hates the first play of anything. She mm. can't stand it because she just doesn't know it. She doesn't understand it. She doesn't wrap her head around it. So the first game is always a slog. It's very hard to teach her any kind of game. Interesting. But once you get past that first hurdle, it's almost always better. She's a deep diver. Yeah. She's a submarine. Because he I wants to play the game. 500 times and she wants to get down to exactly the core of what makes that game i'm somebody though that a game can grab me immediately like a good example yeah. of that from last year and it ended up being my number two game of the year was starship captains from the first play i was like i love this game like yes okay. my score is going to get better but i love this game already and so some games can grab me in the first play and Hickory Dickory didn't as much in the first play, but I still think it's a good game. And the more I'm playing it, the more I'm liking it. And maybe that's also right. You become victim of your own hype machine in your head, right? I was just right. super excited about the table presence of that game and that sort of stuff. I actually want to see uh, a new TikTok video called Grant's board game uh, stock market. Yeah. I want to see like, where it starts out at, when it drops to up and down, yeah, as it yeah. goes multiple plays. There you go. Maybe, maybe just created something. Yeah. Well, and my, you know, the hard thing about my channel is I don't do negative videos. I choose to not make content about games that I don't love. And it's always very hard for me to do that. Like, what I'm struggling with right now and I've played it twice this week, is Galileo Project. Do you know, do you know this one? Know, I know this I've one, heard yes. of it. I don't know it. Yeah. You know, sometimes it takes a while to like get your opinion on the game. I love some of the ideas in the game. But after two plays, I think, I think it's an engine building that, that the actual engine isn't that satisfying. Yeah. You know, like, I don't know that you really, like, 
the engine building games you the 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 engine building games are the that are the most fun is when by the end of the game you're like boom 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 yeah 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 and i just don't know you're accomplishing something heavy yeah, yeah i don't know that that game has that you know i i can understand that i don't know that game specifically but i also want to say that i i really like that you don't push negative content i feel like the world has enough negativity and if you want the negativity you can easily find it that's i like yeah i like the idea of omitting something you don't particularly like and only championing the things that you that's do that's what i do one of the reasons we don't, yeah one of the reasons we have what have you been playing lately is a game that you like on some level it's not what game have you hated lately yeah it's yeah. what game do you like to talk about right and we don't get into negativity and stuff like that and i love that about well, maybe you thank you i'm just kidding i'm just kidding, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding Andrew. i didn't say you couldn't be honest Josh. <laughs> i'm just saying we don't need to push things down but it i do feel the hardest part about it is like letting publishers know like I, I, I am, I'm not going to make anything for this. I think that's hard to hear from a publisher perspective, but at the same time, they'd much rather hear that than I think be surprised by a negative review. I think, I yeah. think as that, a designer, I would me. rather somebody say, I'm not going to review this than say, I'm going to trash it. There's so many games. I'd rather just talk about the ones I love. I'd rather just hear about the ones you like. I don't need to hear about the ones you don't. Well, and then also, hopefully that also like gives me some credibility on the, on the platform in the sense that like, you know, if I've made a video for it, it's, there's something pretty interesting and cool about the game. It's obviously exactly. only one person's opinion, but I can say with Galileo project, I've played it with, I played my first game at four with three different people. And then I played it again yesterday with two other people at three and everybody has been like, it's all right. You know, it's not yeah. like a bad game, but it, it's just all right. But nobody's lit up by it. Yeah, yeah. Nobody gets super excited from Jazz for the next play. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's okay, too, because maybe it's just not for you or those other people. Yeah. It, it doesn't mean it needs to be trashed for that. It for just sure. needs to not be played by you. And I, I love the second board game market for that very same reason. I love getting games from people who don't love that game for cheaper than I can get yeah, from yeah, buying yeah, it myself. Yeah. That's fine, too. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, but I'm starting to see lots of anchorage, anchorage fish. One of those little fishes with like little glows thing in front of them. Uh, for, <laughs> we're deep down. We're deep down in the trenches. So let's go ahead and put on our sonar and see what's in our future. All right, Josh, I need you to research your references from here on. I need you to find the fish and then know the name of the fish. <laughs> Okay, in this segment, we talk about games we are looking forward to playing in the future. Andrew, you have a game that is also kind of keeping with the theme about trick-taking, so please, have at it. Yeah, this is a very interesting game when I heard about it, and I need to play this. It's called La Plateau. Essentially, it is a hexagon board, and on the board are numbers referencing the cards that you're going to try to take in the tricks. It's also played with a French tarot deck, where the whole French tarot deck is Trump. Hmm. So you have three quarters of the game is Trump cards. And then the rest of the cards are represented on the map, I think. So you play cards down. It's a must follow game. But if you don't have it, you can't follow, you can play a Trump card. Or if Trump is led, then everybody can play Trump, whatever not. So it's one of those things where you're trying to take 
spots on the map through the card play and then create bridges. So you're trying to build connections from one side of the hexagon to another side of the hexagon. And the beginning of the round, you bid what you're going to try to take. So I can say, I think I'm going to take uh, two sides on a bridge. And then somebody else say, well, I think I can get three sides of the bridge. And I'm fascinated by this idea of mixing a board and trick-taking together, which fits perfectly in their previous conversation. But that's what I'm looking forward to trying out. What about you, Grant? Well, so, you know, I do a top uh, anticipated games, and I'll say the number one game for me in this year it really slots in nicely to this uh, trick-taking theme we have going in our episode right now is Inside Job is mm. one I'm super stoked oh, yeah. about. Um, I've heard really good things about that one. Yeah, I love the crew and I love, you know, hidden roles. I love, so to anybody who doesn't know, uh, Inside Job mixes hidden roles like a trader into a crew-like cooperative trick-taking game. And so, yeah. I, you know, it's another one of those where I talked about Loving Shamans, which is a hidden role trick-taking game. Well, now this is a hidden role trick-taking cooperative game with a hidden trader. And so I love that sort of uniqueness of it. And I'm, I'm stoked to, uh, to try it out. Awesome. Well, to wrap this thing up, I am excited about playing the, I guess the third and this trilogy of roll and write games that is being produced by 25th century from Adam Hill, Ben Pitchback and Matt Riddle. And that is motor city. Um, they have created oh. two previous games, three sisters and fleet. I am not a rolling right guy. I really don't like the genre too much, but I was scheduled to pretty much demo Fleet the Dice game for this board game store that I work at. And I sat down and played it. And I, as I started playing it more and more, I was like, you know, I, I think I really like this game. And I picked up Fleet at the same time as Motor City came out. I got the Kickstarter edition that came to our store. And I am just really pumped for this. I mean, I loved Fleet. I loved everything about Fleet. And this is supposed to be just an iteration on that design. And because it's such a solid team of designers and such a solid theme, I love the Detroit, you know, American muscle car theme that they're going for. And plus the dice rolling and drafting. I'm just excited for it. I really want to get into this and just see how it goes. But that's a Motor City from 25th Century. As a person from Detroit who likes rolling rights, I am all in on this one. <laughs> Absolutely. I need to have this. So we'll get together and play it for sure. Sounds great. Well, we've kept Grant down here in this suffocating tube for long enough. <laughs> Let's say we ascend, wrap this thing up, and send Grant on his way. Grant, thank you so much for giving us your time and coming on a little voyage with us into a very, you know, varied conversation about lots of different topics. I, I absolutely enjoyed it. But people want more Grant in their life. They want more of your content. Where can they go? Uh, you can go on Instagram or TikTok, Grant's Game Rex. You can also go on to YouTube, uh, which is Grant Lyon, L-Y-O-N. And you can always go on my website. I've got an album up out there. If you want to listen to my comedy album, you can find it on iTunes and stuff like that. It hit number one on the comedy charts in 2020 stuff. It's a pretty good hour of stand-up comedy. So, yeah. Go check it out. Well, great. As always, listeners, you can like us on Facebook as well on Instagram. We are starting to try to put out more st content here soon where we have some things in the works, so be on the lookout for that. 
Well, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on another voyage here on the submarine. As always, I'm Josh. I'm Andrew. And I'm Graham. And this has been the Tabletop Submarine.